Avant-Garde. This is Andrea Gazetta. I'm Katrina Davis. And I'm Crumpin' Marge Simpson. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm Jordan Lee Williams. <laughs> what was that? Jordan. <laughs> I like Jordan dancing. Keith always says that I remind him of Marge Simpson because every once in a while I will say something and he's just like, I don't. I don't know how to tell you this because you've never seen The Simpsons, but you are her. Like we were we were driving back, I think from Vegas, and we saw a a grain silo, and I was just like rattling off all my grain silo information. And he was like, Why do you know all of this? And I said, I just think they're neat. And then I've never lived it down since. Oh, that's like horrible, I just Jordan. Think but I also neat. like dance around our apartment, and he really has started cute. just pulling up that picture of Merge Simpson crumping. That makes me so happy. Actually, it's funny because Katrina's wearing the Marge Simpson. Oh, like she's wearing the Simpsons right now. And then when I saw her microphone has like the blue mic end, and so like I was like, is that Marge Simpson's hair? Like it just. <laughs> like if Marge was a sim and she yeah. was like blinking above her head. I didn't realize that, but yes, this is my favorite shirt also. One of That's my favorite super shirts. Cute. Uh, yeah, I didn't even notice it. I was just talking. Yeah. <laughs> super cute. And uh today we're doing another art news episode. Uh, yeah. Because there's too art much art in the news to make it into one episode. We had to make it two parts. What's up? Yeah. It's too much art to handle. Hell yeah, dude. So there's one that's called, uh, I read, I actually read two articles for this because I read one article and then I was like, what the fuck is that? And then I read a second article. So the first article is extremely rare 17th century painting of black woman with white companion placed under export bar from the UK. This is a CNN.com article. And the secondary article is called that time the French aristocracy was obsessed with sexy face stickers. Uh, and that is in collectorsweekly.com. So what? I'm so excited for both of these. A sexy face sticker. I don't even understand that sentence. Yeah, what is a sexy face sticker? I'm going to show you the image. that This is the painting that we're talking about that was barred from leaving the UK. Um, and this is the story. So... An anonymous and extremely rare 17th century painting valued at 272,800 pounds, which is about $360,000, depicting wow. a black woman and her white companion has been placed under a temporary export bar to reduce the risk of the piece leaving the, uni the United Kingdom. And it's called Allegorical Painting of Two Ladies, English School, and it's a rare depiction of a white woman and black woman painted together um and where they both have pearls like they're they my first thing is uh they look equal in dress yes. and stuff and yeah that's like, exactly oh, why so it, it they're the, like the article is basically like because like they're both wearing the same style of clothing they both have jewelry their hair is both done like they both look like they're made up in an aristocrat aristocratic fashion mm -hmm. so the the art the like part of the reason that they want to keep it is they're like yeah for the most part at this time black people were painted 
in subservient roles, not painted as equals. Mm -hmm. And so like, they want to keep it in the country. And hopefully the hope is that by creating an export bar, some like museum or a collection, a public collection will be able to acquire it so that Mm. it can be for the public. So people can have access to it and people can like write articles about it and do studies and stuff like that as opposed to going to a private collector. Um, Okay. But all these ladies have these like symbols on their face. They have like moons and little like patches so those are called beauty patches and they're a kind of facial cosmetic adornment that was fashionable in the 17th century. So I looked it up they're because like, oh, I baby was face like, tattoos. yeah, I thought they were face tattoos at first. So the yeah. white woman, her beauty patches, quote unquote, are black and the black woman's are in white. And here is Cause an I image. thought it was a, the white, the ones on the white woman's skin on black look more deliberate, but I on the white, on the black woman thought it was just age at first. And I was like, oh wow, that chip, oh. that paint chipped off in the shape of a moon. That's <laughs> like, really I thought funny. that it was the paint chipped off. Yeah, so these are beauty patches. They, they look like Instagram filters. They kind of do. It looks like when you do the tattoo Instagram filter. I was just about to say the artist that photoshops tattoos on all the old Hollywood people. Yes. <laughs> That's what it made me think of. So this is these are beauty patches. And they're basically like they're made out of black silk or taffeta. They had a red. What? They had like a re- resin or like sort of an adhesive backing. So they're made out of like fabric. Oh my God! They're like those little sticky earrings. Did you guys have those? Yes, yes. That's exactly what, I was thinking what they're of, like. And I would put them like where my beauty mark is, like a gold <laughs> star. That's exactly what they're like. And so during this time, um, according to a statement by the Department for Digital Culture, Media, and Sports, the patterns were to mark a quote sin of pride. But at this time basically like this is a time when like you would have battle scars or you would have a pockmarked face or you would have all these Mm -hmm. sort of like physical deformities on your skin and so syphilis syphilis yeah all those sorts of things so for a long time (laughs) that was such a nice way to be like people's faces were fucked up (laughs) yeah they were super (laughs) fucked up they were They were pretty messed up. So at the time, like it started this trend where people would um, like use these beauty patches to sort of cover up like Uh deformities and cover up things that weren't so great about their face. But then over time, it started to be this thing where women would use it to highlight or draw attention to because at the time you'd have these like very like white powdered faces you would draw attention to like your eyes or the corner of your mouth or it was a way mm-hmm. to sort of like further enhance and sexualize it was a highlight yeah it was like a highlight exactly um well and i'm curious too because at the time especially with the white makeup that they were using based on all of the I mean, you know, you've still got smallpox, you've still got syphilis, you've still got all of these things, including a type of makeup that is eating, literally eating away at your skin. Eating your face. Yep. So women would (laughs) fill in and basically use their makeup as like a putty 
Oh my gosh, to fill the face holes? Yes. My stepdad calls oh makeup spackle to this day and accurate, <laughs> accurate term. Wait, what was in the makeup? Lead. Oh, and it was just eating their It would like make your it. teeth fall out too. Like having First it so off, close why to didn't the mouth. I guess that? It was obviously going to be lead. Lead is in every, every <laughs> time we talk about it. It was going to say either that or something like radium was going to be guy's my mustache thing. is upside down. Which guy? Oh, yeah. That's really <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> I didn't even notice that the first time. So it's really interesting because, like, as I was looking into this about, like, where did these beauty marquee things come from? It's pretty clear that this is another fun uh, uh, instance of cultural appropriation where basically, like, mm. as Englishmen and French people are going around the globe meeting indigenous cultures who are tattooing their face or creating, you know, in India, like, using dyes and things to sort of, like create facial adornment that this is sort of like the English version of that of creating a facial adornment and decorating your face um, so it is sort of like a less permanent version than like yeah. tattooing but it is clearly hat. influenced by this sort of like world experience so they went and saw those and they were like oh my god cute not ready to make the commitment yeah, oh, pretty much. <laughs> well, They're that like, lady what has just... a horse-drawn carriage on her forehead. Yeah, they got some of them are elaborate. Mostly they're like little stars and hearts and horseshoes. And that lady also and... has a tiny upside-down mustache. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she does. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so I like I her, guess... the way that the moons are tattooed or positioned, and the way that we are familiar with gang tattoos it looks like she just killed a bunch of moons <laughs> like if you yeah. murdered a star you so would get this a yeah she just definitely murdered a policeman uh i don't know what you would call them were the police a thing in this age was it a knight you like killed a knight i don't know how it works oh because uh, of the no, horse we drawn past- carriage we were past knights, um, but you probably had what is this 18th century? So you probably had depending 17th on century. the place. I'm so sorry. 16, what, what a- th- these are started like 1653, so 17th century. But- mm, then I'm not sure, especially in France. I have no idea. Okay. I'm just reading this page now. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's super interesting. It's we'll put yeah. it on Instagram. I think it's pretty cool, but it shows like different styles. There's like a page that I found from one of the articles. Um uh-huh. and it's basically shows different types of body modification. I'm going to preface this with this was written in 1653 but because of how they're described, but it does say that they were uh, notoriously known to have been the primitive invention of the barbarous paint painter painters of India. Don't know why they had to call them barbarous, but yeah, because well, they they're also- different, and that's how white people do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do like cobweb lawn yellow. I don't know what that means. It sounds like a band. I like that guy's ears. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know what that's they about. They call him at all. a long-eared gentleman. <laughs> it is really funny that they're like these, you know, they use like really unhelpful and unkind 
like dehumanizing terms for people and then there's just like this gentleman with the long ears it's like okay (laughs) thanks dude but um oh here i'm gonna show you guys the portrait again because i want to talk a little bit more about it there's a little bit more information that i thought was interesting i mean i definitely don't think i've seen a depiction of two women of different races from this time that looks this equal friendly yeah yeah cordial yeah Yeah. any of those things like it says them being companions because even when you said companions i was like wait were they dating is this i know part of me was like excited when i started reading it. it so it sounds like they're based on what they kind of know about it again it was painted anonymously so like you don't really know um but it says that the style of the work correlates with popular wood cut prints at the time and the composition is most likely allegorical and linked to satirical verses sermons and pamphlets so this is a quote from the DCMS. It is not a portrait of real people as far as we know, but the inscription reveals that it is in fact a sternly moralizing picture that condemns the use of cosmetics and specifically elaborate beauty patches which were in vogue at the time. Hmm. So What year was this? Uh it just says 17th century, but the image that we saw like when this was rising into fashion is like probably the 1650s ish. So they're not, they don't have an exact date, but they guess that okay. it's from around that time. Um, and I thought this was kind of funny, is the UK arts minister, his name is Stephen Parkinson. He's the one that, that like banned this export. Uh, he's also known as Lord Parkinson of Whitley Bay. <laughs> Which I thought was like such like a, I was like, oh, is this a real thing we're still doing? We're still doing the lords and the bays and you own shit? Like, that's funny. Okay. If if I overheard someone at work saying that they watched eight episodes of the Lord of Whitley Bay <laughs> and they were just like, oh my God, yeah, it gets really hot in the second episode. Like if there was a show called that were just like, eight 16th century people were like fucking a bunch i would not i would 100 percent believe them like that sounds like a bridgerton spinoff absolutely the lord that of i will bay. not know anything about one day yeah and they'll be like oh my gosh yeah but the guy from lord of whitley bay is like my dream <laughs> yeah but uh yeah i love this whole- painting though it's really pretty. It's really nice. We'll put it on Instagram. But I thought it was cool. And like, I also, you know, I think it's cool that they're like, hey, hopefully, because I mean, part of his reasoning is like, this raises a lot of conversations about like race and gender at this time. And like, we have a lot and of who this woman was from this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was like, okay, yeah, that's look- pretty cool. Yeah. Trying to do I've a cool never- thing. Well, we've talked about in some other paintings, older paintings uh, that depict black women, it like she's dressed, she's making eye contact, her face looks like open and she looks happy, like she's not like she's grinning from ear to ear or anything, but like I haven't seen a content black woman from that time. I don't know ever, probably. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and she's also standing side by side. She's not in the background. She's not... 
Even the nice, like nice in terms of their well-dressed, whatever portraits of black women, they look stoic. Like I am being forced to pose for a picture right now. That lady looks like she was like, you know, with a companion with, yeah, like a yeah. real friend. That's nice. Or perhaps yeah. a friend. <laughs> Every I'm time they say per- or perhaps a friend, it's just like they're fucking. They're fucking I didn't know if that's what I was like. Wait, Jordan, are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? Just that any friend is a real friend or like a naked friend? I didn't know how to take what you were saying there. No, I have no idea what I'm doing. My brain is melting. No, it's I okay. like it. It's fair. Well, I'm feeling like news? extra silly. I also <laughs> have spent the last several days just watching the live feed camera from the Monterey Bay Aquarium. So like, oh my, wait, what? That's a great idea. Oh, yeah. that's the thing you posted in your stories where you're like, it's lo-fi and you can watch shrimp. Is that? So the Monterey Bay that's Aquarium hilarious. has several live feed cameras that are pointed at their animals. I've been watching a lot of the moon jellies because wow. I just think they're neat. And I just think they're neat. They're just neat. So they have the live cameras. You can watch the birds or the otters or the sharks or uh, the sea turtles. They've got two different jellyfish live feeds. And it all has like royalty free, royalty free spa music playing over it. Or you can go to their YouTube channel and watch curated lo-fi hip hop beats over yes. sea animals. Yes. <laughs> Yes, but also I want wait, why is the it? Monterey Aquarium sick with the branding? What? Like who <laughs> built know. their They've YouTube got a good channel team there? An aquarium with a sick YouTube channel? What's happening? <laughs> That's dope as and fuck, I, bro. And I feel like uh, I have gone up and down in terms of my feelings of zoos and aquariums because I feel like we learn so much about animals in them and things like that. But as Andre was talking about in our last art episode, like I'll sometimes go to an aquarium and be like, oh, well, we have all these animals stuck in here. And they'd be like, but this fake salt water is better than the water that. <laughs> no, I, I guess we've your point. ruined their natural water. So I'll do my little quick one right now. Um, and it's just I saw it and was like, this is the funniest thing. I've never heard of something like this happening. Um, so the article is $533.7 million Roman villa containing Caravaggio mural fails to sell after receiving no bids. Damn. I have never heard of an auction where an item did not receive a single bid. <laughs> Because wait, no one wanted it for like even a lower price? I assume they just didn't want to start the auction at some high price. I don't know what price they started it at because the the number that this article gives, that's an appraisal. That's not where they start right. the bidding generally. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Generally, they started at a lower number and then it gets bid to, but it's appraised at this. Literally, no one bid on this house. It's the and no one was there. Ever heard of. Or the people that a, were there didn't want it. Yeah, and it's got a Caravaggio mural painted across the ceiling. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I just did. Was they dying. talk to anyone that was there, and they were like, "Meh." No, they didn't talk to the nobody. Like the article, they didn't talk to anybody. But they were saying it was like one of those. Uh, 
just super secondhand embarrassment things because in the article they're like so um it is quickly being rescheduled because no one bid on it <laughs> but it's like why are you embarrassed what are you embarrassed for the house the house doesn't care like what do I you mean, who's embarrassed but if you set up an art an auction for an object like this oh that and oh as an auctioneer or a business yeah oh like, yeah no gotta, that gotta, auction gotta, house gotta. is embarrassed yeah, because oh your whole job is to find that. people that want to buy this thing. And yes. you it was didn't. like, you couldn't move a f- for something worth $5 million. How much did you say? The appraisal? It was appraised at $533.7 million. So like, okay, that is well, a lot that of money. Makes sense. But the people I don't that have... go to these auctions are not worried about money in the ways that you and I are. Yeah, like they're there looking for pretty investments to stare at right yeah it's yeah. definitely a billionaires only club but like honestly oh, yeah fuck them but it's just so <laughs> funny that this this caravaggio mural didn't sell i i so just it gets another it. chance now yeah they're setting up a new auction because they were like we're just trying to reschedule it because we didn't get any bits Katrina's i was, just, I was a dying. chance <laughs> I've been thinking about this since I read the article, like, and it pops up every 20 minutes. I'm like, there's a Caravaggio that just didn't sell. What the fuck? Just sitting. Yeah. I mean, I get that price tag. Like, I get it. But also, like, you guys are bad at your job. And that is funny. Yeah. Yeah. You couldn't find anybody. How did you set this auction up? How? That's like if the nobody- ultimate brag. Like, I'm imagining some, like, bargain basement Ross mom being like, guess how much I got this for? <laughs> Nobody bid on it. Fucking idiots. Cleaned no up wanted today it. at the auction. Yes. I like, got this so Caravaggio proud. house for $420 million. You wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it. It's worth so much more. Am I right? It's a steal. I mean, guess, honestly, guess how with much, where That's how much I paid with where it's appraised for and the fact that no one bid on it, somebody's going to get this house for like 20 million. I hope so. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I can't mean, my- imagine 20 million being a steal. Like what kind yeah. of world? Oh yeah, no no no. It's it's gross the way that like housing in general is treated. My biggest fear is that somebody is going to get this because they can't sell it and just paint over it or yeah, something. It's gonna be Stupid. it's gonna yes. be rental gray in like a year. I just I'm so scared. <laughs> I well, highly doubt well, that. Well that's where my um a black person in America brain went when Andrea was talking about that other painting was like, oh someone's gonna um buy it to burn it because they just don't even want to see evidence of some Aww. like a relationship like that existing. That was like the first thing I thought that makes oh. me so sad. <laughs> Oh, sorry, but (laughs) no, but that's valid. But like, fuck, man. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, it went better than I thought. But yeah, man, that's crazy. Yeah. So Um, wait, when's the next auction? Should we sign up? What's going on? Right. I think we should collectively pool our unemployment and then we will. You guys, we have a new Patreon tier. If you want to help us buy Buy the Caravaggio. Help us preserve the villa as oh a separate entity. 
<laughs> that is where we will record our next episode. It will be inside the house. We'll do a live stream so you can see the painting. Uh, that would be um, great. Yeah, no mention of when the next auction is. I think that they're just trying to fucking tuck tail and go. Yeah. As someone who has hunted down estate sales, I can tell you that the next one is going to be intense. Like now that it's out there, the people that go to that one are going to be so ready. And okay. And I know that auction houses are like prestige and stuff, but from like a bargain way, they could have so much more attendance because people are like, yeah, these fucking losers could have something awesome and you won't even know about it. So they'll just go to all of their auctions, hoping that they'll stumble across something else like this. So maybe they'll like reverse the, the, the marketing message. I think it is weird to just like assign value to objects. You know, like there's just like a weird thing where you're like, is it's not worth that to anyone. So is it really worth that? Like who decides? Yes. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah. Once you get I past mean, materials, labor, and yeah, I get real lost. It, I mean, I will say though, like this is a Caravaggio. I know that I've been saying it a lot, uh, but like just the I like the way it sounds. Fact that this painting so are you guys once we get into things that are like this is a miracle that it even still exists that it's been preserved this long like i totally understand why stuff like that is expensive because it's like yeah this is a relic this is the um i just realized i didn't show you guys the mural it's beautiful yeah let me see so it's this gorgeous like from the underside looking up um okay here's the thing i would pay to look at that is it the moon one i like that one the bigger jordan I'm sorry. I can't uh, that's like, also that's so funny. We just had a whole talk about how much Andrea's eyes do not work. Um, no, I like the moon one better than the more better known ones. What's it called? Here, let me. There we go. Wait, can you see that? Not yet. There we go. Yes. Oh, good, Andrea. It's beautiful. Wait. Yeah. Move that oh, other window. His yeah. Little dick. I didn't see his little dick hanging out there. <laughs> but yeah. So it's like you're looking at this from below, which is a pretty standard. Oh, he's like standard. holding a horse from but be- like it's you're looking yeah. up onto dicks. He's got his, he's like, got a hot, yeah, you're in the undercarriage. This is a gooch shot. <laughs> it's a very very common um, perspective POV? on ceiling murals. Like this is a that very totally makes common sense. perspective on it because you're it's supposed to be you're looking up and this is the heavens and yeah look at all this stuff. So but Caravaggio his work is just it's good. I would say stunning. good job. Yeah. It's stunning. His use of light, his use of shadow, just this like this well in also perspective Ugh. on a ceiling at a time mm-hmm. when you did not have photography readily accessible. Like, yes, if I'm being honest with myself, I'm not that good at drawing. I need reference photos. Like, I can't do it. So was he just standing? Was he just on the floor looking up at dicks to get this shot? Like, how did he? I think that a lot of these <laughs> artists, because he used Did they have models. mirrors yet? He could have put a mirror under his own dick. <laughs> and then just oh, like, uh, looked, 
look drunk. He used models, and this was part of what was so incredible about Caravaggio and so groundbreaking is he was a criminal who was pretty broke, and he used models from the gambling houses and the the bars, essentially, that he hung out at. Um, Nice. And so he was painting religious iconography using just Ooh. everyday people yes so which is what jesus this, would have wanted yes Hell yeah it's this this is human and flesh and these are real yeah, people and that's i love kind of it what blossoms into this whole story because i mean da vinci was doing it with very very beautiful human looking people yeah but caravaggio is doing it with like the, the guy who's been drunk for the last 45 years and so I think that he's probably got models that he's doing his gesture drawings of and then painting. That's dope. Nice. Yeah, I really can't imagine someone not like did. Ooh, this is the other thing I was thinking at the auction was was it like just a front picture of a house? Did they not know what was? No, I, I I'm pretty sure they knew. Yeah. That's crazy because um, that is beautiful. And I like that one more than the more well-known one, I feel like, that was up on your computer screen with, like, not hallways, but, like, the almost columns, like, painted. And they're, like, people f- coming towards you almost in, like, an avenue. It looks yes. like they're, like, you know what I'm talking about. I feel like that one you see more. That one was very small once you get into – I'm trying to find this one because there's one – I think it's the Calling of St. Paul. Well, also Caravaggio's perspective is making me realize that yes. every time we like look up to the heavens in despair and are like, why, God? We're just looking at his taint. <laughs> I mean, that is like such a common – um, it should be. It's logical. But the way that we think about things religious now, it's like, yeah, everyone's just been staring at God's gooch this whole time, like at their wits end, like in their most when they're at their like most needy point. It's just God free balling a robe being like, what's going on? What's wrong down there? So I also wanted to show you guys. I just it does make it up. what would Why Jesus do hiding? It just like changed that. It's like, what would Jesus do? I don't know. Show his dick and balls to anyone below. Like, I don't know. <laughs> so I wanted to talk. So like perspective wise, painting. because this mural is, it, it is very much the perspective of you're looking up, you're under these people. What's um, the name of this? So this Caravaggio. Is, what's the name of this piece? Yeah. So this is the the conversion of St. Oh, Paul. Of Saint- and he was Saul. You're correct. Um, okay. But he became Paul when he became uh, a follower so but just the 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 what am i trying to say the 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 perspective of this piece has a similar kind of like you are right there and this there's is a lot of and yeah well it's so for the listeners to just describe the painting saul is on the ground his head is most towards you and his arms are up and he's like looking up at the horse that he's fallen from and like everything is in this deep sort of perspective where like his head is closest to you and his feet are furthest away sort of and he's sort of angled but the light is very dramatic Caravaggio was mm-hmm. really known for very dramatic lighting but also this is this perspective dramatic. that Jordan's talking about that 
as someone who struggled to paint a face that I had great photo reference for yesterday, it's like, okay, this is impressive as fuck. Like, this is amazing. Yeah, no, it's it's an incredible skill that he possessed. Um, yeah, he's he's crazy. His name was Michelangelo while Michelangelo was still alive. That's why he went by Caravaggio. Oh, I didn't uh, know like that. Like Madonna. But what? wait, that was his, like, mm-hmm. given name, and it just happened to also be Michelangelo, and he was like, oh, great. He was uh, named after Michelangelo. Oh, wow. He was named after him, but then was like, uh, I'm an artist, and I can't be calling myself Michelangelo. Wow. Yeah. It's like if a new singer today's given name was Beyonce, and they're like, well, mm-hmm. I can't. It has yeah. to be something else. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for showing that to us, Jordan. I feel like it's given so much more life because of just how much you know about Caravaggio that it's like I fully appreciate how dumb these billionaires are for not buying that house. It's crazy. If I had the opportunity to live somewhere where there was a Caravaggio, oh my God. (laughs) I do like that you love art so much that you talk about it like you're a label whore on Melrose. Like you just throw his <laughs> name around like it's a Fendi bag. Like, oh my gosh, just to even be in the same room as a Caravaggio. Like, can you guys believe they let a Caravaggio go? What idiots. Like, it's great. And you're like, I yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like, what you were definitely mean? already speaking with a cadence where we should have known, but then you told us. And I was like, okay, I get it. I, I miscalculated. I was so like, funny. oh, of course. They'll know all about Caravaggio. They'll understand why this is crazy. We'll get it. So I had to do some I needed, quick. I needed uh, a visual. <laughs> I needed a quick image search, and then I was on the same page. That's fucking awesome, dude. I love that. <laughs> Okay, so this next article, not super recent. It's from 2013, Um, but I was, someone sent it, a listener sent it to us. I don't remember who, but they sent it to us on Twitter. So I don't know if you come across cool articles, send them our way, but um, it's called, We're the First Artists, Mostly Women? Oh, and, uh, and it's a National mark. Geographic article. So here's, uh, here's the, the nitty gritty, if you will. <clears throat> Uh, a study released in 2013 suggests that about 75% of prehistoric cave paintings were created by women. Okay. I get um, that. The study conducted by researcher Dean Snow of Pennsylvania State University is based off the research by John Manning, a British biologist, who found that men and women differ in the relative lengths of their fingers. So women tend to have ring and index fingers that are about the same length, whereas men's fingers tend to be longer than their index fingers. Um, Almost a decade after stumbling across Manning's work, Snow began analyzing 100 hand stencils found in eight cave sites in France and Spain. Though many were too faint or smudged to measure and the full sample size of usable prints was just 32, he said, quote, there has been a male bias in literature for a long time. People have made a lot of unwarranted assumptions about who made these things and why. Um, so here I'm going to show you an image. But also I love that Katrina and I, Andrea, you were like talking about the shapes of hands. And Katrina and I both were sitting here like, is that? Looking at your oh, hands? That's, yeah, yeah, that's a man ass hands. <laughs> yeah. Mine's so different. Like I am... Uh, 
hard differentiation. Oh, on uh, ring and index? Yeah. The outside That's and this the- one and this one. Wait, like those two? two? Yeah. Like they're There's- definitely not close to being the same height. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. The first one or the this one? The first the, one and this the th- one and this one. Oh, I was looking at the wrong fingers. No, okay, I did yeah. the exact same thing. I was like, wait a second. Mine's longer. I don't know what those fucking finger names are. You guys so say first. In men, um, like the ring finger tends to be longer than your index finger. Your index Got is the one it. that you point with. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So they that. tend to be like, you. they tend to have different like proportions. Um, and so the way that it was actually really interesting the way that he made this algorithm he just took people from around the same area that the caves were in where he's like you guys are your descendants so like i can use you Uh as my sample size to figure out like relatively what is the sexual dimorphism of this community but he actually found that his the model he made was about 60 percent accurate but in the cave paintings, there was so much, there was a higher level of sexual dimorphism in fingers in ancient cultures than there was, than there is today. Okay. So he actually found that it was a lot more consistent and noticeable across the board, like which was which. Huh. Um, now, so I thought what that was, was really the interesting. sample size of his cave paintings? Again? There were only 32. 32. So he had 100 okay. hand stencils available, but a lot of them, again, are like smudged or they've degraded over time. So he couldn't get, like, he couldn't go and actually measure okay. um, in an accurate way. So it was just 32. So again, it's like, okay, that is only a third of the available stencils in the cave. Yeah. But if 75% of that third is women, it's still a lot of women especially when the narrative for a long time has been that these are like men making these things. Yeah. No, I would be curious. Um, the woman who does the archeology span of childhood, because we've talked about that before mm-hmm. here. Um, I would be curious what her percentages are because she oh, can tell okay. how old a child is that is making these flutings. Um, That's awesome. And when they've been helped. So I would be curious what kind of uh, data she has on it as well. Yeah. I mean, again, this is like from 2013, but I was like, why? Mm. I've never heard of this. Like, what is this? And how old are the stencils? I mean, 10,000 years ago. That's crazy. I don't have the date here. But yeah, like the. It's crazy. I know that it makes sense, but it's wild that that a hand even looks that much similar to ours. That is crazy. That yeah, old. You know what I mean? That could be a fin. It's not that old, but that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is kind of crazy to be like, oh shit, like they were people. They were to just be there like and us. put your hand in it is like yeah. somebody's hand was in this spot ten fucking thousand years ago that's crazy katrina yeah. are you calling me out because i literally just did that to the screen i was like look at that <laughs> no <laughs> there is something not at like, all 
when I think about like little kids, like you putting your handprint in the clay, like there is like this sort of testament of like, I existed. That is really Mm -hmm. beautiful. I think by just doing that. Oh, I used to always compare my growing hand to the old one on our Christmas tree. Oh, like when I was that's little. really cute. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's um so more like about the article is even though we're not really sure why every single cave painting was created. There are a lot of theories. Obviously, we can't like know for sure. Um, but there is an archaeologist named Dave Whitley who basically said that like his hypothesis is that it was a shamanic experience and the caves were a place where people would go into trances and sort of connect with the spirit world and so he was like if you go into one of these caves you start to suffer sensory deprivation pretty quickly like in like five to ten minutes and so it can spin you into an altered state of consciousness and (sighs) oh shit yeah and so like he was saying like this study supports that theory because in a lot of hunter-gatherer societies that we still can see today like the sort of like the ancestors of that type of society shamans are often female or transgendered um so he's kind of like yeah this kind of supports that theory if there are more women doing this it doesn't mean that you know it, it this might be like a good reason or this seems to support this theory based on the information we have. Now, and I was like, oh, that's cool. So this David Whitley, is he at all connected to the Bay of Whitley? Do we know <laughs> if there's any connection? I want to oh see gosh. his That was incredible. That was fantastic, because um, I already forgot about that bit. Like, we, what, <laughs> we're 30 minutes into this episode? I don't know. Um, no, it does. Well, I was thinking when you said hunter-gatherer societies and who would be in the cave, I immediately got mad that they, when you read or said that it was written about men getting the credit it's like you cannot get credit for both if you're out hunting hunting who's in here drawing you can't be in both places they just gave them credit for everything that's so unfair it's like the timelines don't even line up clearly we were doing the drawing well one of the things about hunter-gatherer societies is the men were generally the ones who were going out to hunt Because if you send out six men and only two come back, it's sad, but society continues. If you send out six women and two come back, (laughs) that's the end of that society. Mm -hmm. You've only got two people left to make more people. Yeah. Well, and to also create society. I mean, women were doing the gathering. They were doing the the food and... I all the other daily <laughs> functionalities that you need as like an individual. So not to say that men are completely expendable, but beehives <laughs> will, will uh, during the winter months because male bees are essentially only created to fuck the queen and make more babies. And because mm-hmm. male bees don't have jobs within the hive during the winter, female bees will boot males out often to freeze to death during the winter months and so that they're not taking up hive resources because they're kind of like well we'll just make more dudes next summer so like bye Mm -hmm. so i always wondered this because in my apartment building i'm pretty sure there's bees in the attic because every winter 
there'll be like 50 dead bees outside of my apartment building. And I'm like, where are they coming from? And then it's like, once I read this story, I was like, oh, they're the boy bees. You that think are being it's all booted. the men that got kicked out of the hive? I do. Probably. Yeah. So I like how you aggressively hilarious. said that male bees don't have jobs like you think they're leeching off the system. They, they don't are. have jobs. They don't even have jobs. <laughs> These lazy bees. <laughs> oh, they're not contributing to society. They're just leeching <laughs> off the women. <laughs> this is one of my just favorite cave paintings that you've pulled up. It's really pretty. It's two chunky horses and some handprints. Yep. I do miss, um, I haven't seen one in a while, a, a chunky cave horse. Because I do feel like those horses were thick with more, three C's. Had more to love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, though. These horses, for some reason, are in the same category as this is not a cat. When we talk about the paintings with bad cat faces that don't look like animals, they still look like horses. It's just like, look at that fat horse. Right? Yeah. No, I agree. I feel like these are stylized, whereas like, this is not a cat. Yes. It's like, what kind yes. of demon creature you, are you drawing? Yes. You did something else entirely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. It's really funny. So... Uh, we are going to talk about, where is it? An article from the Washington Post by Patty McGlone. McGlone. What a name. Um, called Why the Smithsonian is Changing Its Approach to Collecting, Starting with the Removal of Looted Benin Treasures. <gasps> oh, of course what? this is something that Jordan pulled. Yes, yes, yes. I Jordan love it. wants everyone to have their art back. I do. I absolutely do. That's I think so that awesome. all art- Also, I appreciate this extra because this is one of my top percentages on Ancestry.com. Is that that place? Like Benin Togo? Is that what you're talking about? Okay. Is that how you say it? Is, it is Benin? Because I, I looked up know. I looked up the director of the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art, how to pronounce her name because I did not want to get it wrong, uh, but forgot to look up Benin. Benin? The place. I did. I did. I forgot to look the place up. I've never looked. I look stuff up, but then I'm still just reading it the way I say it. I haven't heard it. Any, I haven't watched anything that talked about it to hear okay. someone else say it to know. There we go. See, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I look up how I watch videos of how other people say things, and then I I'll write it phonetically next to the word I also so that. that I can have both available to me. Um, so but I was just making sure I was thinking about the right, right region. That is the place you're talking about, right? In Africa? Yeah. Yeah. It's in Africa. It's um, it is currently Nigeria. Where did I have that? note? Mm. they're near each other. All that stuff is in the same area of Africa, at least. Yeah. They're I like, a, they're next. They might butt up to each other if, um, one is not the other. Um, let me see, because the, the pieces that we're going to discuss were looted. Um, yes, it's a kingdom in what is now southern, uh, southwestern Nigeria. It's Benin um, is how you're supposed to say it. I Benin, it okay. Benin, okay. Benin. Fuck. All right. 
Well, let me blow your fucking minds with this one because okay. I okay. watched a lot of videos on how to pronounce this woman's name. Yes. Nari Blankenberg, the director of the Smithsonian National Museum of African Art. Uh, I have a lot of quotes from her because I love her very much. I think that she is incredible. Um, so she has removed 18 works from a collection of Benin Kingdom court style works. Um, there are 39 pieces total in the collection, but she has linked 18 of those to the 1897 British raid of Benin City. Yeah. Uh, so- Nari says that her goal is to return them to Nigeria, but ultimately the decision is up to the Smithsonian Board of Regents. Removing Mm. them from the gallery is her first step. So once they're no longer in the public view, they've been put back into their conservation collection. They are not uh, able to be viewed publicly. Mm. Um, The pieces that have been looted... Uh, have been replaced by photographs and a sign that reads in part, we recognize the trauma, violence, and loss such displays of stolen artistic and cultural heritage can inflict on the victims of those crimes, their descendants, and broader communities. Um, Yeah, and she said that when she took over as the director... On the mental effort of worrying whether an object was stolen or acquired unethically, she said, Mm. I am tired of going to museums and feeling stressed about that question. So in conjunction with... So the Smithsonian Museum system, it's a system. You've got a lot of different smaller museums. Um, They have, I think it was like 143 million objects in their collection whoa that's a lot of objects but also you don't need that many objects because the the public can't conceivably view all of them anyway so like well this is i mean that's spread out over who knows how many a lot of museums museums does the smithsonian it's a a system that has a lot of museums involved in it um but the Smithsonian has been working on an institution-wide. Like an evaluation? Yeah, it's kind of like an evaluation. They set up a group called the Ethical Returns Working Group. Um, <gasps> and they're oh, wow. going through every piece that the Smithsonian wow. has, which again is like 143 million objects in the entire system of Smithsonian museums to look at on a case-by-case basis that requires the Smithsonian to dig into the circumstances behind the acquisition and make an effort to address any wrongs. Mm. This is what I'm imagining. I'm imagining like a card in front of each object that's like, was this stolen? And it's just check a box, yes or no. And then no, like- it's like the old I am quiz and you like follow a new line and it's like, should we give it back? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So in, in museum practices, curating and collecting is a huge part of it. Up until this point, it has been looked at from a legal standpoint. Do we own the object? Is it our object? 
this group, the ethical returns working group, they are now approaching all of the objects as is this ethical yeah. that we own this? And those that's are the different. huge difference. Mm-hmm. <gasps> yeah. Because, because that's what I was thinking when you said the first thing is like, yeah, and you're basically just flexing on shit you stole by having it in these museums in these countries still and not with those people it's like yeah we stole it and we kept it that's like if your ex stole a bunch of your clothes and then had a fashion show and you were just like he's showing off all my stuff like yeah yeah no and i mean 18 of the 39 pieces from the benin kingdom court works were directly linked to the raiding of the city by the British. Because yeah. when was this raid that they could directly link them? That Were they like stealing stuff and being like, hey, make sure you write that down in the ledger, all the stuff we're stealing? Like, I mean, it's a, it's the, 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 it's the riches of war. So yeah, there probably was a ledger of yeah. everything that they took. And yeah. Then, because everything has a pedigree. So a lot of the mm. times, families would be left off of the pedigree in case other collectors approached them and were like, hey, do you have more to sell? We'll take some of that. But they can track it back to where it was acquired, when it was acquired. That's how you establish authenticity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, but you're saying they'll leave stuff off so that they can kind of make money and move it along without feeling bad? No, no, no. Not without feeling bad. There, There was no nobody gives a shit like it's not it's not a a morals or a feelings so it used to be that um dealers art object dealers would sell an object but not put where they got it because they didn't want other art dealers to then approach the family and be like oh where they got do you they were have trying to more keep of this? Their, yeah, they were I trying to keep their saying. stuff close to okay. the vest. Got it, got it, got it. Yeah. Um, well, it's, yeah, they were trying to hide their plug. I get it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That totally That's makes exactly. <laughs> Um So the Smithsonian Secretary Lonnie G. Bunch the Third said about the Ethical Returns Working Group: "We want to make sure things are being preserved in the right place, not just." our place and i think Mm, that's important because once you start getting into these these areas and people love to argue oh well it's not going to be taken care of in the same way if it's not in this museum in europe that's fucking racist paternalistic bullshit it's that same like well, like literally we saying it. to someone that they aren't good enough to take care of their own art. Yeah. Yeah. yeah their own much. historically, culturally significant works. It's just, it's the most paternalist. It's fucking racist to well, look at another country and tell them that they can't take care of their. Yes. That historically, you can keep it better. Yes. When we look at that, you somehow see more value in their own art than they do that you know to preserve it. Yes. When we, there's a really good podcast called um, Stuff the British Stole that goes into sort of the nitty gritty of this in depth in very specific cases about the difference between legality and ethics. Yes. Um, 
And there's like mm-hmm. a great one on the Maori people, of course, and like Australian Aboriginals and also mm-hmm. like Africa as a continent and the way yeah. that Europeans have historically treated the African continent. And it's like this thing where like, if you look at the history of Africa, Europeans came in, took a bunch of land, used essentially like big guns to massacre thousands of people, steal not only their like history and legacy and destroy their cities, but enslave the people that live there, steal all of their natural resources, and then today have the audacity to look at the poverty they created and be like, well, they can't take care of it because look at how they're living because we took all their shit. Like, yeah. it is literally oh, yeah. the most gaslighting, victim blamey bullshit on a worldwide scale to say yeah. that, like, these people can't take care of their own artifacts because we have destroyed their home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, it's that's how I feel about it, that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Blankenberg, just to quote her one more time, because again, absolutely amazing. Uh, Museums are Eurocentric institutions created in Europe on the basis of Enlightenment ideas that manifest in quite a racist way to the rest of the world. Their DNA is problematic, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't exist. Um, And then she goes on to talk about how removing the objects from the public view and returning them to where they rightfully belong is the only way that they can exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's. Yep. And the only, the only thing I think about now is like, okay, and then they'll move the art back and they'll make it like an influencer destination to go yeah. visit some like, remote <laughs> resort in Africa and go see these pieces of art. Good. And selfies in front of them. Yeah. Make money off it. Fucking it. European yeah. people it's are going to the Louvre shit. and taking photos in front of the gates of Ishtar and the, the Sphinx, like these are mm. looted objects. These are objects that have been stolen yeah. from mm. the cultures that they are actually important to. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they should be returned because it's yeah, no it's like, different. What do they even have in their museums? We have all their stuff. <sighs> yep. Do they have museums? Do they just have newer shit in it? Because we have all of the old shit. Yeah, I don't. It's, it is horrifying to see like and I mean I've talked about this in length on the fucking episodes that we lost about Beyonce Uh, (laughs) but I just these institutions are so I mean the Louvre was built to show off the pillages of war like yeah it was built to show off colonialism it was built to show off napoleon's collection that he got by invading places and it's just Mm -hmm. it is because as someone who is interested in art history as someone who has spent my entire life just wanting to belong in this world I have had to listen to so many conversations about how, oh, well, we can't return it because they can't take care of it and we have it. And so it's it's been at the Louvre for the last 400 years. So why would we return it now? And it's like, well, that's not the point. The point of owning an object and having it be a cultural thing that is supposed to be for the public to experience. That's not our history. 
Yeah. Yeah. Just gonna make little angry Jordan. faces because yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean that's at this point I'm just repeating myself, but I just every looted object needs to be returned to the culture that it is significant to. Absolutely, and I yeah. agree with that 100. percent I don't yeah. think any of us on this podcast are gonna like argue. I would love to like ha- go to an exhibit and see that everything was like on loan from some museum in Ethiopia yes. or wherever. Yeah, you know and I mean? yes. in the article they talk about that where it's they're trying to figure out the best ways to return these objects. And one of the solutions that I think it was Bunch came up with, or uh, one of the, you know, he was like, best case scenario, because they don't owe it to us. But yeah. If they had a long-term loan to our museum so that patrons yeah. could then continue to enjoy the object, but they rightfully own it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's dope. I that sounds that. like something that you could, like you say, do immediately and be like, okay, well, yeah, you, if you think you're so great, then you can house this. You can use your structure, but you are also acknowledging that, like you're saying what you really care about, which is that you don't own this. Yeah. Right. That you stole it. We can prove that it's stolen. And so even the idea of you having it on loan would have to be a bygones made by you in some other country. You know what I mean? And like even acknowledging, like you said, I feel like they don't even talk. They feel like they act like these countries, which I feel like this is a trickle down from years of colonialism, but they act like those countries aren't even worth conversing with. Yeah. No, on and that's something about art. That's yeah. the. Oh, I know I said that that was my last part of it, but I will say because ethics don't just have a black and white. Some of the objects that have been legally acquired by museums have been purchased at the duress of another person. So they are also going, part of the case-by-case basis is that they are going and looking, was there a civil war? Did this get purchased because the the country was experiencing a drought and this family had this piece that might be Mm. able to help them during a famine? So looking Mm -hmm. at different things that could affect someone's ability, like a power dynamic. Um, And Bunch said, and it was my favorite thing, uh, that a lot of people are really uncomfortable with ambiguity. And they say that because it's not black and white, like, is this really a, a slope that you want to go on to? And he said, I'm very comfortable with this slope. I love yes. ambiguity. <laughs> Good. Because that is something I think people try to use to scare you away from stuff and say, well, this is just going to be way too convoluted. Trust me. You don't yeah. even want to worry about it. We'll just keep it. And it's like, oh, no, we can absolutely talk about every single one of these. Like, yeah. Yeah. I have the time. There is nothing more satisfying than someone trying to do that to you and you being like, oh, no, I have the time. Yeah, let's get into <laughs> it. Like, no, let's fully. Yeah, fine. that is the best. And that person just being like, fuck, really was hoping that was going to work. And it's like, nope, we're doing oh this. Oh, my God. One of the funniest things that has ever happened to me. Have you ever had someone like tell you something and they really think you're going to agree with them and you're just like. Or like you're going to like it'll make you upset. And then you're just like, no, that's I'm fine with that is my Mm. stepdad sent me an article, which was a Fox News article. So like I was not going to read it. I read the headline, but I was like, sure. Fair. 
And it was uh, California considering giving reparations to black citizens. And I was like, that sounds great. Yeah, I'm fine with good. that. Do it. And my stepfather oh, thought that was going to turn you. But your tax money goes to. Blah. And I was like, it's not my tax money. I don't make enough money for that. It is rich people and fuck them. And this is fine. I'm good with but also, this. This is shit. I want. I want my tax money. You take yes. money from me. Give I this. want roads fixed. I want, I want better schools. public defenders. I'm constantly having this argument when people talk about the unhoused situation that we have here and different ways. And I'm and they'll be like, oh, would you really do it? I'm like, yeah, Yeah. I literally would. I already actively take more money and time out to do the little things I do to try to help people on my own. I wish that you'd take my money out and do it more and help people more efficiently. Because my line is like, that's not the line where I change. That's not the line where I change. And I'm like, oh, well, no, I'm like, no, take my money. Yeah, give it. I don't have yeah. kids. About. I don't think I'm gonna have kids. I want you a- already take my money and do a bunch of stuff with it that I disagree with. You might as well take a little bit of it and put it towards like two things I do agree with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, see, I'm going fully radical because I'm like, I don't want my tax money to go towards cops. I don't want my tax money to go towards the military. You know what I want my tax money to go to? Healthcare. Infrastructure, healthcare, that would children's be great. daycare. It would Education. be great if we could check boxes for what our yes. taxes do. Oh my god! And I feel like a lot of people. I feel like our military would be more than funded still. Yep. Yeah. Like if you really want to put your money where your mouth is, because they've done plenty of a job fear mongering enough of us that we would definitely always give at least a little bit of money to that. And that's the thing is like, if I wouldn't give, that's the thing that we, we taught. And now we're just talking about something totally different. I know. But like <laughs> this, yeah, here's the I thing mean, we, I could go all day on this. Yes, I could yeah. too. Because we'll, we hate we'll capitalism, find, but <laughs> I mean, there's just a lot of uh, area that people, I think, do the same excuse you're saying, Jordan, to where it's like, oh, well, solving that would be so convoluted that, like, why would you even try? And I think there's more and people more are people dying now and that I think are it's like, bad. no, 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 we can try. We can try yeah. to do something. And I do feel like that's the thing that I... Uh, especially again as a black American the past year and a half have had a lot of exhausting conversations about uh, police and alternatives and things like that and it's like a lot of people that do acknowledge certain issues will say well oh well it's just so big and we have to have it no that like people are told for multiple things in our lives that this big thing we know it's fucked up and we know it doesn't work as efficiently as it could but we can't deal with even wrapping our minds around replacing it or putting something else in place and it's like no we really can like they convince you that everything would crumble and be in ruins in the middle but it's like i've been in a town where we didn't have a power because of a storm for a month and a half like you figure shit out so it's like i think even with the pandemic and a lot of other things that people swore things would spiral into chaos it's like yeah it's just gotten gnarly it's not been perfect but like a lot of us are still here and there are ways to function in messiness 
especially if it's deliberate and you know it's coming with the idea of building something better in its place. Not yeah. that you wait till something gets so bad that it burns down that you realize there's an issue with the foundation and you remove everyone from the building yeah. and try to fix it. You know what I mean? Yeah. In terms of Just, like whatever, but. Hold on a sec. Can I do, I have one yeah. more. And oh, it's yeah. a funny short one. I just was one. trying to think about, yeah. It's, I promise it's short, but it's, this is the headline Georgia O'Keeffe painting damaged by tarantula back on display after restoration I tarantula? have so many questions I hope okay. it thought it was I will answer did somebody that. squish a tarantula onto it no 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 no, no tarantula that's not did what happened did they eat it no what so, happened okay <laughs> so this sorry, is sorry I painting. got too excited I know you're just like what is happening um I also imagined him eating it, Jordan. So this is the painting. Basically, what happened? The the painting is called Spring. It was painted by Georgia O'Keeffe in 1948. Um, oh, wow. And it, it features desert primroses. It features this vertebrae. And then it features this sort of like antler in the foreground. And um, this sort of like desert mountainscape thing. It's very um, like it's- KOA. Yes, it is. And I think she was influenced by that. Um, but it is the the mountain in the background is in northern New Mexico, and it's called Mount Pedernal. Um, and it's been interpreted as sort of like a memorial piece for her late husband, Alfred Stieglitz. So mm. this this is what happened is apparently the piece was damaged by water after a tarantula tunneled through O'Keefe's roof after she had completed it. And then it rained and then it fucked up a bunch of her paintings that she had just like, she had had them stored like stacked up against each other in her studio, but she had had this painting for a long time. Um, The piece is four feet by seven feet. Tarantula. Wow, tarantulas? that's big. Tarantulas in New Mexico get big. They can get they're like the size of your fist. Like they're yeah. big fucking spiders. Yeah. Um and Dang. the piece costs $145,000 to restore and took 1250 hours approximately. Oh, and it was just water damage? Yeah, so the problem yeah. was is that she had varnished the entire surface, which is something that like Nowadays, like when I seal my paintings, I don't use a varnish. I use what's called a retouching varnish, which is archival. But the mm-hmm. old way of like you basically just pour resin over it. Yeah. Which Oh, okay. I've seen people do this. Yeah. But it makes it difficult to like fix things that are damaged oh, because they couldn't even get to it. Yeah. So you have to like slowly like pull use a solvent and try and remove oh the varnish gosh. layer and get to- all that without oh. getting too deep and deep fucking and up deep. the paint the paint exactly. it's like how yeah, archaeologists painstaking as hell yeah, yeah it's like how archaeologists have to go like single trowel with a brush trowel yeah pretty much yes oh my gosh so and explains why it took so many hours yeah but what's really funny about this is that 
the the painting was damaged so she painted this piece in 1948 it was sort of a transition piece it was painted right after the death of her husband and it was painted in new york but it featured all of this like new mexico imagery that was big in her work and at the yeah. time it was the largest piece she had ever created so it was okay it represents the sort of like turning point in her work um mm -hmm. but it says that part of what made the restoration tricky as well is that it was damaged while O'Keefe had it and she had clearly attempted to reduce moisture with a sponge before eventually <laughs> handing it over to her personal conservator in New York calling it quote unmanageable and hard to clean end quote. <laughs> Also, so she didn't say it was damaged. She tried to fix it and then was like, there's something wrong with this painting. Pretty Whatever. much. Yeah. She was oh just like, oh, my God, this is fucked up. Can you fix it? And so they literally have had it. And no one has really seen it. It hasn't been on display because of the water damage. It was, damage. Yeah. It was on display in 2019 in its damaged state. But this is okay. the first time this like in 2022. So from 2019 <laughs> to 2022, they're like we got to fix this fucking thing and they it's been being conserved um but i just thought it was really funny that she was like she the, she kept the painting for a couple of reasons is like it was sentimental to her you know it's kind of yeah. about the death of her husband but also she was like i don't know if anyone would want to buy it cuz it's kind of big <laughs> which i was like i identify with these struggles and challenges georgia o'keefe so like i vibe with those <laughs> that's so funny. well i like the idea that she eventually still just was a regular ass old lady with her own art where she was like somebody come in here and get the printer to work <laughs> like i broke the painting <laughs> I don't know yeah. what happened. Someone come fix this. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Which I think I is totally hilarious. I took a sponge hilarious. to it and it's still bad and I give up. Like I This used it. to happen like pretty often when I used to conserve stained glass is that like people would something would break and then they'd hire someone who didn't really know what they were doing to do it so they would paint this like restoration piece that was like clearly shitty and bad and mm. then later someone would be like oh i actually want this done well and then they would hire our studio and i would have to repaint it to like look good right. <laughs> and how many times have you painted something been like what happened before several I got times here. like <laughs> several because i like people this thing happens where like so like part of the conservation process especially in stained glass is like a lot of the imagery and a lot of the designs are done over and over again or they're drawn from famous paintings of history so like i can get the anatomy from this painting of saint paul that has been done a hundred other times the same exact pose pretty much and so sometimes mm -hmm. something would happen where like someone would bring in a piece and clearly it had been restored very badly like parts of it had where the rest of it was painted really well and in a really nice style and then parts of it were painted in this shitty style where i'm like there isn't even enough information for me to do a good job on this so i would like go... i don't know what this used to be yeah so i would like go on the <laughs> internet and like research images and then use that to sort of create like to fill in the puzzle pieces of what was happening uh. of like oh this is a bird's wing or oh this is part of a robe or whatever and sometimes that was really difficult because like the pieces had been damaged so much wow. so just fun facts it's hard to restore stuff um yeah 
<laughs> Restoration is hard, even for George O'Keefe. Hell yeah, dude. <laughs> but yeah, that's oh, all. That was great. That's all my news. Thanks, Andrea. Yeah, that was fun. Yay. That was an awesome episode of Art News. I really like how much... I mean, I always learn stuff on these, but separate stories, you really learn a lot. Hell yeah, um, dude. That was super fun. So thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Pavant Garde uh, Art News. I think this is Art News 3. This is our third episode of Art News. Hell yeah. Um, if you like the podcast and want to make sure that you don't miss uh, our next episode, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pavant Garde, P-O-D-V-A-N-T-G-A-R-D-E. Um, and you can also find our Facebook group of the same name and join it if you would like. It's super fun and people share art and talk about all the kinds of fun things in there. Um, and if you like me as an individual, Katrina, I did not talk that much. I didn't have a lot of news today. Uh, you can follow me at Katrina Savad, S-I-V-A-D, at, or, I almost did it again. <laughs> Why do I keep trying to give my, my Gmail away? I'm Katrina Savad on everything, on Instagram and Twitter you, and TikTok and all the stuff. Oh, Jesus. Uh, if you guys want to mail us um, a painting by Caravaggio or some artwork that you've looted so that we can return it to the rightful owners, or if you want to send me some type of tarantula, but pre preferably crocheted and not real, you can send that to our P.O. Box at 1001 Fremont Avenue, number 366 south pasadena california 91030 um and if you like me individually you can oh wait do we talk about the patreon did you already say that katrina no i never say the patreon no i'm supposed to say the patreon no it's you okay. said the I'll patreon last time i did it's sorry yeah we have a patreon we have a patreon uh, and we uh, have andrea used to say it when i did I forget it i guess there's no cool. order here it's whatever <laughs> Welcome to the chaos, fuckface. <laughs> what are we, a British imperialist museum just stealing art objects? Because there is There's no, no ledger here. here. Um, <laughs> so if you guys want to support us on Patreon, we'd really appreciate it. All of that money right now pretty much goes to our editing costs. So thank you for Yay, that. Yay, Elliot. And yeah, and we have some bonus episodes in there of just like us having wacky convos. And as those numbers grow, hopefully we can expand what we offer there as far as content. Um, but if you want to support me individually as a human person, you can follow me on the Instagrams at Andrea Gazetta on Twitter at Sundress Comic. Uh, I have a website, AndreaGazetta.com if you want cute art. And I have a super secret awesome sticker club on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Andrea Gazetta if you want to be part of the sticker club. Uh, January. These stickers are not appropriated face tattoos. They're not appropriated face tattoos, but February's sticker of the month is going to be a Pokemon that everyone has voted on, which I think will be Vulpix, but might be Gengar, possibly Togepi. We'll see what's up, but I'm going to paint all of them, and whichever one gets chosen will be the sticker of the month. Hit me Togepi. up when Snorlax gets voted in. Ha ha! Okay. <laughs> Uh, and then I am Jordan Lee Williams. I hope that I get my voice back soon. Um, 
And you can follow me on Instagram at the Goonie Bird. Uh, for my art stuff, it is Goonie Bird Crafts. And that's also what I am on Etsy. Goonie Bird Crafts. Textiles. Yeah, and miniatures. Woo! Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> Thank you. We love you. Bye. We love you. Bye. I got to go feed my dog. Hey guys, Andrea here. Um, I'm asking for your help a little bit today because Jordan, Katrina, and I are all comedians and artists who don't have any experience editing sound. And because this is a sound-based medium, we have asked an editor to help us with our episodes. Um, we had a few issues early on with some of the early recordings and we're working on getting those sorted out. Um, and part of that is just having an audio engineer. So in order to be able to actually pay him and pay him a fair rate, uh, we're asking for your help. We've set up a Patreon, patreon.com slash podvantgard. And our goal is that we can pay him not from our own pockets, but from the resources of the show itself, which means we need your help. Um, we're also planning on starting to release bonus episodes. We'll start with one a month. Um, and as that Patreon rate increases, we'd like to eventually expand that to a bonus episode every week. And the bonus episodes will be more, um, a little bit more loose fit. We'll be covering art, uh, like current events and weird things that happen because there's a lot of like weird stuff going on in the art world right now, um, especially around NFTs, especially around AI. And I think it's really interesting and worth talking about, but we just need to be able to pay someone to edit that bonus content. Um, I would also say that in terms of the time cost, you know, Katrina, Jordan, and I all are supporting ourselves outside of this show. This show takes a lot of time. I'm probably spending at least three days a week with every episode just researching. We're buying books. Um, Katrina's editing the time codes. She's building our website. She's doing all our social media. Jordan is also researching her own episodes. And my goal for the Patreon is just that it can become something that, you know, we're not looking to get rich. I don't think that's ever been our goal. I don't think we ever think that could be our goal. But what I'd like to be able to happen eventually is that the Patreon can become a way for us to just pay ourselves a living wage for the time that we invest into this show. My experience uh, with Cult Podcast um, is that it's really hard to make a show every single week and not have other financial resources. So what I want is that this Patreon can eventually become a financial resource for us. It can help us support ourselves and it can help us to continue putting the show out so that we don't get burnt out and want to pull our hair out. Um, we love you so much and we think that the show is really important. I personally think that we need more podcasts that cover history and art history from a feminist, anti-colonial queer perspective and that's where we're coming from as artists and as art historians and comedians we love you we love this show thank you so much for supporting it that's again at patreon.com slash and thanks guys